This is KDXI St. George. St. George. St. George at 100.3 FM. It's now time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And now your host for tips, Dr. Bob Oxley. Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley's back here again with tips. And uh, today our topic is going to be on the political scheme of things here in the United States. And uh, I've invited back our monthly guest, uh, Professor Joe Green and Professor Chip McLeod. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hi, Bob. Here we go. Uh, last time we were together, uh, we had an opportunity to talk about impeachment. And uh, it was through the House and it was going to the Senate. And uh, there were some suggestions that for our analysis that he would be, the, the president would be acquitted. And that's exactly what happened. Um, but uh, there was a lot of questions on the part of uh, people uh, in the United States, population questioning, why didn't we have the witnesses come in? Uh, should he have been acquitted without the witnesses in the questions and answer period? Um, and so I'm gonna, I'd like to start off with, what's your impression? Should he have been acquitted? Uh, is it justified even even without the witnesses, the additional witnesses that were requested on the part of the House managers? Um, turn it over to either one of you to start off, and we'll talk about the impeachment, just to wind it up. Uh, I'll go. All right, you're on. Uh, I think the uh, Senate made the correct decision. Uh, I don't think the uh, what the president was accused of doing was a high crime or misdemeanor. Uh, I think Mrs. Pelosi had the right uh, instinct about uh, impeachment the first time she talked about it, when she said, we've got to have a bipartisan uh, uh, understanding that this is what's going on and it'll just turn into a political uh, a political fiasco. So uh, I think that's what it did. Um, I don't think the Democrats came out looking very good in the end, I mean, President Trump's uh, approval ratings went up during the uh, the whole process. I don't know if that's why they went up, uh, but it correlates uh, with, with what went on. Um, essentially, I bought uh, Alan Dershowitz's argument that uh, the president was being accused of having an idea. Uh, there was no action uh, uh, that was ever taken uh, along the lines that uh, he was accused of. Uh, the uh, aid went to the Ukrainians that he was supposed to be withholding, went to the Ukrainians uh, before the fiscal year ended, which is when it was supposed to go, uh, and the Ukrainians didn't ever do any, impeach any investigation of Mr. Biden. Uh, the result is they couldn't charge him with a crime because he hadn't committed any crime. There was no crime that they could, uh, they, they could make an argument for because the money, was, money went to Ukraine. Mr. Biden wasn't investigated. So uh, I don't think it's a good, uh, a good precedent in our, in our system to accuse somebody of having the wrong thoughts. Obviously, Mr. Trump had thoughts. He may have thought that uh, this would be a way to harm Mr. Biden if he could get it to happen. He may have. He may have been thinking that uh, he wanted to get after get after corruption. 
because Ukraine had a lot of corruption and uh, and you know not having the money go there till we were sure about that. It's legitimate. He probably was thinking both things. We don't know. We can't get in his head because this is a, this this they charged him with something he was thinking about. Uh, I'm guessing lots of other presidents have talked to foreign leaders and asked them to do things with the idea of helping them in elections, hurting uh, people in elections, but that wasn't the only reason why they were asking them to, you know, people, the reason people do things is complex that okay. way. So that was my take. Okay. Okay, well, Professor well, McLeod, well, can take, you... My take's a little different. All right, um, that's great. I, I think uh, the the evidence was compelling. And, and by the way, nobody was discussing the fact that there is such a thing as a high misdemeanor. Um, Andrew Johnson had, uh, back in the 1860s, articles of impeachment written up, up against him that amounted uh, to high misdemeanors. But aside from that fine point, I was convinced... Um, first of all, the politics made this very, very sketchy and hard to get at. But I was convinced that uh, Trump did have damaging his political, his presumptive political opponent's ability to get the nomination very much in mind when he pulled what he pulled. And the idea that people are coming up with some very creative ways to suggest that that shouldn't be um, something that looks like or that, that is tagged with some sort of, let's call it criminal intent, is very curious because, for example, um, that's one of the most dangerous things in terms of our constitutional structure a president could ever do. For example, the last time I checked, attempted murder is still a crime, and uh, attempting to subvert our constitutional principles, which is, once again, um, I'm convinced that's what Trump was up to. He, he didn't get away with it, which is why things worked out uh, in the Senate trial the way they did. And one of the reasons that it went the way it did, of course, as we all know, is that the, the Senate's heavily populated with a um, Republican majority. Nobody thought he'd be convicted of, of uh, whatever charges came up. But this is uh, something that's going to further divide uh, Americans, I think. It's not that unusual, especially in the partisan political environment we live in now. The same thing happened to Bill Clinton. His approval rating went up after his trial, and he was acquitted. But uh, I, I think he's a guy that we definitely need to keep a uh, an eye on. I would never argue that there weren't uh, a handful of Democrats still mad because they lost the election in 2016, but uh, this impeachment scenario, um, whereas in a couple of instances they could have handled it better, more more clearly, and a little more quickly, um, I I can't agree that there was nothing to it. But once again, I'm not sure what would have to unfold for anybody to go through a process like that. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't hear anybody talking about the impact it would have, no matter what a president did, of actually impeaching him, trying him, and convicting him, in this case, kicking him out of office. We, we don't really want to do that. And one more time, there, there wasn't much likelihood that, uh, that Trump would be convicted. 
there's a pretty clear party um, vote in in the the Senate trial. So um, we have that behind us, I guess. Yeah. There's one irony with it. Uh, by bringing it up, the House focused attention on Mr. Biden's actions while he was vice president, uh, focused uh, around what looks really sketchy. No one knows. It's not been investigated. Uh, had the phone call not been made public, that would never have happened. And uh, it may be that that's one of the things that's caused Mr. Biden to, uh, to lose ground in the polls and not do well uh, in some of the early primaries. Probably yeah. not the only thing. We would never argue that. But, uh, you know, that would be, if that had something to do with his fall on the polls, that would be ironic, yeah. bringing it up. Well, and, and because and th their claim is uh, early on that Mr. Biden's the, the is moderate enough that he could win independent voters and beat Trump. Uh, and that's not the claim that's being made by the other candidate. Maybe Mrs. Klober, Ms. Klobuchar might be someone in that lane that, that fits that bill, but it's it just struck me that way. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, he, he, uh, President Trump is the third president in the history of the United States. That's what's going to get on in history. He was impeached. Well, uh, and we don't know what other presidents may have pulled that uh, is so bizarre, so wacky, so potentially threatening or in, uh, dangerous to everything about our nation. Because you see, at, at the end of the day, that doesn't matter now. They didn't get caught. He did. And it, it's um, the, the same notion as uh, you don't have any evidence for something, so evidently it doesn't exist. Um, maybe not. But uh, he, he got busted, and we all understand how partisan a process this was. But again, the point that, that I was making is that I'm, I'm not convinced that w what he did wasn't something that um, shouldn't have been taken very seriously and gotten him impeached. And uh, I don't see where it's hurt him. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that as far as w what we think for the upcoming election in November in just a few minutes. But let me just throw one more piece before we leave the impeachment scene. Uh, the the uh, Utah State Senator Mitt Romney was the only Republican uh, to vote in favor of uh, finding the president guilty of these charges. Um, being from Utah, uh, what's your impression or opinion of that, that decision on the part of uh, Mitt Romney? Um, <laughs> um, Professor Green, you're on. <laughs> uh, on the radio, I have to take him at his word. <laughs> that That's his reasoning. Uh, I'm a little suspicious that that's his only reasoning because uh, he's had a, uh, uh, should we say, a mixed relationship uh, in his interactions with the president. Uh, he He took a position that I was very strongly supportive of that Mr. Trump shouldn't be president uh, during the campaign. Uh, Mr. Trump did get elected and evidently considered him for a while as his secretary of state. Mm -hmm. And I guess he met with Mr. Romney at one point. There was a photo the, op of all of right. that. Uh, Mr. Romney wasn't selected and I, had he been, he wouldn't have stayed long, I don't think. Uh, but then 
people who are in Mr. Trump's cabinet don't stay long, do they? No, no, it's a revolving but, uh, door there. So uh, was there some uh, uh, some anger on the part of Mr. Romney about having been the way he's been treated and talked about and uh, and uh, some of that? I'm, I'm guessing somewhere deep down there was, but um, I don't know. So I'll take him at his word that that's why he voted that way. Professor McLeod, would you well, like to make a statement? The uh, the first thing I, I wondered, of course, because he uh, is, is a professional politician, exactly what flowed through my mind was, what's he trying to pull? Mm. And uh, I would very much like to believe that his vote was born of uh, some well-thought-out, deeply-held principle. Maybe part of it was. I don't know that he, he puts on a pretty happy face most of the time. And I'm not confident that, as Joe says, deep down inside, he's not still kind of perturbed that he didn't get uh, some very nice post, such as Secretary of State. Um, and uh, again, I I heard what he said, and I, I don't know anything else beyond that. Okay. Uh, well, except, except the president may be. Um, a little upset because he he likes to play lots and lots of games, and I haven't seen anything. It could be going on as we speak th that indicates that uh, Mr. Romney will, will be ostracized and reviled in Utah. I, I haven't seen that yet, so I haven't seen that either. But uh, the Republican Party certainly came out of the gates right away and asked him to be disinvited to their major event. Uh, so then they, they put it on the, uh, they put it on the social media across the board and they weren't trying to hide anything. So they said, you're, you're disinvited. We don't want you here. So they feel like they've been threatened and, uh, he's just not one of the team. Well, that's something we, we may have the opportunity to talk about because in taking a look at Donald Trump and why people seem so incredibly fearful of him, um, when a political mess, misstep may mean that basically you don't reclaim your position because that Trump base that seems to be holding pretty steady may uh, come together as that constituency and send you home. But we'll we'll see. A part of the team. Okay, let's uh, let's put the impeachment on the table and we'll put that file that one away and let's move on now. To, let's talk the Democratic until the next one. Until the next one. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's uh, let's talk about uh, the Democratic Party and uh, what's going on there. We're we're putting out uh, one primary and one caucus out of the way. I guess uh, let me start off first. If we're going to talk about this, <clears throat> Iowa and their caucus. What a fiasco that was. Uh, did that hurt a lot of the c candidates? Uh, the, all that, all the money and time that they've put in, and they couldn't even come up with who the winner was until like three or four days later, and still question marked. Well, at, at, at this juncture, one of the things that jumps out at me is that it doesn't seem like it would be all that difficult to get something pulled together so they could vote accurately and... I, to this very moment, don't really understand why these things have to be as complicated. Uh, they, they have some things that they're interested in, in doing that render these various gatherings and, and voting procedures complicated. But here in 2020, once again, gee, 
uh, the whole thing screwed up because our app doesn't work. And uh, then you move over, as we will in a moment, to a place like New Hampshire. And, and again, it's a different kind of place, a smaller population and what have you. But um, they had their tabulations out in 15 or 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> because they went, uh, I'll call it old school, but just write it down and shove it through the machine. But that was a poorly orchestrated scenario in Iowa and more ammunition for the Republicans. Oh, yep. What, what, what an embarrassment. Egg in their face. Uh, the, Professor Green, go the, ahead. The uh, age of people getting together in caucuses to choose their candidates may, uh, may be coming to an end. Um, the idea of a caucus is you get together with your neighbors and you talk about the candidates and maybe try to convince each other that the one they're supporting when they came in the door isn't the one they should support. So that it's not an election as much as it's a conversation that they're supposed to have. And I gather in Iowa, they've never released the voting totals, ever. And last, uh, in 2016, Mr. Sanders and Mrs. Clinton were very close in, in uh, and at the end they announced their delegates and Mr. Sanders was upset. And when, after the whole election process, uh, Mr. Sanders could claim that the Democratic National Committee had pretty much tried to keep him, used various kinds of methods to try to keep him from getting the nomination, he had some power to, to ask for changes. And the change was, we're going to ask for the vote when people come in the door. And then once you go into the meeting, everybody declares, I'm for Sanders, I'm for Buttigieg, I'm for Biden. And they go off in their corner. And then people can, over the course of the evening, change and move from this place to another place so that they have a second total that's supposed to come out. And then that second total will be one that is used to determine the the, delegate. the, the delegates, right. which is all they've ever reported is the number of delegates. Well, the app was supposed to let them do that, but evidently no one ever <laughs> tested the app. No one, I mean, the incompetence of the Iowa Democratic Party in dealing with this. And on top of that, the company that wrote the app that sold this to them had a number of people who had been prominent in the Clinton campaign as uh, senior executives. So to the Sanders people, this looks like another attempt to try to take his, steal his thunder, which, which happened. He won the popular vote in that caucus, yes. but didn't get to brag about it that night. No. And it was up in the air for two or three days. And by then, uh, all of the impact that the candidate is seeking, the reason they spend the money, is gone. So absolutely, it didn't look good. Absolutely. Uh, then we, we moved from Iowa, and then we did go into New Hampshire, which was a primary. And like uh, Professor McLeod just brought up, uh, the, the primary was done with a, an old system that works. And I love it when they interviewed the, uh, the uh, Democratic uh, chair that was in charge of the, uh, the election or the primary. He said, in our backup is, and he held up an old-fashioned calculator. And that was their backup. So I thought that was just fantastic. It works. Yeah, well, we, we can count stuff right <laughs> yeah, now. That's and, right. And, uh, so, yeah. It, it was. Well, so what we've got right now, after, after Iowa, the fiasco, and after the completion of New Hampshire, uh, 
I've got uh, uh, 22 delegates for Pete, uh, and uh, we've got 21 uh, delegates for Bernie, eight for Warren, seven for Amy, and eight for Joe Biden. Were you a little bit shocked at the outcome after New Hampshire? I mean, I'm looking at Biden here, who everybody was worried about Biden and and how much he's going to take it and run away with it. And is that is this just an indicator? Are we just getting started? And like, let's not get all shook up here and things are going to change around again. Or or is Amy legitimate? They're saying that people that actually have an opportunity to sit and talk with her, to meet her, she's very convincing and she's right down the middle of the road. Um, I guess let me let me just throw it out to you because after New Hampshire, what, what was your what's your take on the outcome between uh, with Iowa and New Hampshire and just beginning? Do we see a trend here of some sort or is it, or is it too early to call anything? Well, one of the biggest pieces of this puzzle is that the Democrats are still not intentionally, but presenting themselves as a deeply divided um, political party and. For example, people ask Pete Buttigieg all the time leading questions having to do with Bernie Sanders. And he tries very hard not to dump on uh, Mr. Sanders and that sort of thing. The The questions are almost uh, sort of lukewarm in their confrontational approach. He's declared he's a democratic socialist. Can a democratic socialist become president of the United States, and then the politicking begins. Uh, and unless they find somebody, and which is what we're talking about, to take on that mantle and, and really compete, um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's still too early to tell. There, there are lots of um, primaries and that sort of thing that will come down the pike. But uh, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, see biden hanging in there at this point south carolina will will be his great line of demarcation probably probably some people disagree with that as well even at this point but he uh he was the the great uh, biden hope and i, I think he's fading yeah. oh i do Professor too. green go ahead yeah. yeah i think he's fading uh i don't think he i think we've known for a long time he's not a very good candidate the appeal of Mr. Biden was his association with President Obama and therefore the goodwill that he had in the black community, that he was the one who could pick up the the uh, votes from the black community, which the Democrats rely on. In, in, uh, in most of the states, you, you need to win the black vote to win the, the primary. But in the general election, it's, you know, the African-American community votes uh, 90 plus percent for the Democrat in every election. And that's uh, part of where they get their edge, their, their, their chance to win elections. Right. Um, so he's, if he's not there, I don't know who uh, African-Americans support of the, because Mr. Buttigieg is not, he, he polls it like nothing with African-Americans. Maybe he can uh, appeal to them if Mr. Biden isn't, isn't in the picture. Mr. Sanders doesn't do well with them. Uh, but then nobody but Mr. Biden was doing well with them. So they've got to go somewhere. So the question is, 
where it will be. It's going to be interesting. Well, and, and there are still questions that logically people are bringing up from the past, and a lot's been said having to do with, aside from Joe Biden's association, which is not a good with Barack Obama, which is not a great deal to hang a bid for the presidency on. If, if that's, if that's evidently all, not, if that's all you, <laughs> you bring to the table, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm capable of. I was closely aff- affiliated with our first African-American pl- president who was very popular with certainly a lot of Americans. Um, I don't know what that gets him ultimately, but they have to find somebody who can move the focus away from simply the rallying cry to oust Donald Trump. You may get him out of the White House, but when you are installed in it, what are you going to do? Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not hearing anything that, that resonates with me yet. They're changing maybe some of the language occasionally, but I, I don't hear any policy and initiative change. I've heard the same cry, uh, whatever, it, whatever, whoever can beat Trump, that's all we care about. So listen, we're going to take a break right now, but we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go away. We're going to continue taking a look at the Democratic Party and how it's moving forward. We'll be right back. We now return you to tips, topics, issues, and positions with Dr. Bob Oxley. Tiny Mike, little hey, Mike. Hey, we're right Mike. back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're still talking about, during the break, we're talking about uh, the Democratic Party and moving forward. And we talked about Iowa and the fiasco there and the effect it had on the candidates after all that time and effort. Then they went to New Hampshire with the primary and were a little bit surprised at the outcome. But now we've got Nevada, the caucus in Nevada, coming up on February the 22nd, followed up right away with South Carolina primary on February the 29th. Ninth, uh, and then we, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Super Tuesday coming up, also. Uh, but I really want to throw something at you right now. We've got another candidate out there, a sixty-six billion dollar man, who spent a billion dollars on ads and uh, is going to get into the into the flow here. He's, I understand he's been invited and has accepted for February the nineteenth to be on the on the on the stage as far as debating, and that's Mike Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City. Uh, let me throw that into the mix just to start us off here. Uh, do you think, uh, Professor Green, I'm going to go to you first. Do you think that uh, Bloomberg is could end up being the candidate? And do you think it's too late? Or do you think this is a travesty that people with money, they can come in anytime they want to? And isn't it ironic the Democratic Party changed the rules to allow him to do this? So let me throw that in your lap, and then I'll uh, we'll get a rebuttal from uh, Professor Green, uh, Professor McLeod. It may not be a rebuttal. It may not be a rebuttal. <laughs> you never know. But anyway, go ahead. Um, my personal view is that uh, Mr. Bloomberg has gotten in too late, and uh, but there, as we as Dr. McLeod said earlier, uh, 
there are a, a, a whole bunch of Democrats for whom beating Trump is the primary uh, focus of their vote. Uh, and evidently there are a lot of them. Uh, they don't care if uh, uh, what the policy is. Uh, my, my stepson is no radical, but his view is anybody but Trump. And I don't care if they're going to raise my taxes or nationalize health care, which is were things that he's usually really uh, opposed to. Yes. Um, but just as long as we get Mr. Trump out of office. If there's a lot of people like that and Mr. Biden is, is uh, failing and his candidate, candidacy is uh, really going by the wayside, which is both Dr. McLeod and I believe that's what's going to happen, mm -hmm. then they need somebody they can turn to. Uh, who could fill that role of beating Mr. Trump because the, the wisdom uh, of the punditry and of the uh, elite leadership of both parties is if Mr. Trump's running against Mr. Sanders, Mr. Trump wins going away. I don't know if that's true. Uh, but uh, and we can talk about that. But that being the case, then there... They're panicking if Mr. Biden isn't there to be the, the one who can beat Trump, who's pulled best against him, then, then the idea is let's have Mr. Sanders. And it seems to me that's why they changed the rules, the rules that kept Mr. Booker off the debate stage, that kept Mrs. Harris off the debate stage. They changed that rule that you had to have so many contributions from uh, small donors now they've changed it yes. so that all you have to be to have is a certain position in the polls and you get to be on the debate stage. If I'm Mr. Sanders people or if I'm someone who thinks that uh, the Democrats tried to sway things for Mrs. Clinton in 2016, I'm thinking this isn't fair. This is uh, we, we have rules and everybody plays by the rules and now now we don't play by the rules it's uh it's it is you know it's it's it does not make them look good no. combine that with iowa and and if that's in the back of voters minds in november it's going to hurt them changing the rules in the middle of the game yeah it's ridiculous well the lack of consistency is a huge problem to my way of thinking and um mike bloomberg might have a better chance if he took some of that money that he has and uh, bought some of those gizmos that the men in black use to obliterate your memory so everybody would forget about stop and frisk because that that's <laughs> that's come up <laughs> that's still killing him it is and uh so i don't know what kind of support he really expects from a huge growing non-white constituency in America because this issue of who um, African-Americans, Hispanics, you name it, are going to vote for is bigger than ever. And it's going to be probably crucial in, in the 2024 election and that sort of thing. So I don't know what he thinks he's going to do to um, make that go away or smooth it over. When it comes to Somebody like Bernie Sanders, see, I saw him on a news show the other day, and 
what are his individual contributors um, giving him? What's the average? Eighteen dollars, twenty dollars, something like that. Something like that, yeah. And so he he certainly looks like the real deal in the way of a populist. But this notion, uh, we had a revolution back in seventeen seventy six, and I don't know how many Americans are really buying that. I'm one for a variety of reasons. I don't want a revolution. Pete Buttigieg is hammering hard uh, against that sort of thing when he speaks because, again, it's some way to get closer to the middle. I think that the Bernie Sanders revolution, should he wind up somehow the candidate and uh, go go head-to-head with Trump in the general election, I, I don't – the same questions come up. I mean – how in the world will we pay for the stuff he's talking about? And then I also have serious questions as to whether, that no matter how revolutionary the Democratic Party becomes, whether they will support that sort of thing. It's making me a little jittery, but um, we all remember the presidential election of 2016, of course, and everybody's arguing, come on, this fool couldn't even get, get the nomination. And he became president of the United yes, States. He did. I'm not going to sit here and, and argue that Bernie Sanders can't get the nomination and can't become president. You can, you can imagine a scenario with his 20, maybe 30 percent of dedicated supporters in the, uh, in the Democratic primaries and uh, – in a split field, always coming in one or two in in the primary elections every every place he goes, so that he's the one building the momentum, and the others have trouble raising the money because they're not placing. That's what, you know, the 17, there were governors and senators on that Republican stage up against Mr. Trump, but he had that 30%. He'd come in first or second in every primary. The others could get no traction. Of course, he was able to just dominate the media. He was. He had the whole focus of the media on him. But I'm guessing that uh, uh, Mr. Sanders is going. He's getting some negative media from the uh, uh, the the press that generally supports Democrats because they're afraid they're afraid that he's going to be a loser. But uh, I, I'm not, I wouldn't go to Vegas and bet against him. At this point, well, well and, and part of what people are um, examining closely is that which way would this go, of course, and if, if Bernie Sanders becomes the Democratic um, nominee, is he truly too off the, the, the wall to the left for enough Americans, who, whoever this, this growing, developing, incredibly eclectic constituency of his uh, maybe is he just too far left actually to win the election? Well, his constituency, at least he claims, is 18 to 29-year-olds. That's where the majority of the people that are jumping on the bandwagon be supporting him. His, uh, historically, 18 to 29-year-olds vote at very low. That's right. Yeah, very that's low turnout levels. Make, you're absolutely right. Okay, and uh, maybe it'll change this time I president president obama brought out a lot of young people it it blipped up but it didn't blip up to the kind of levels that you get from uh baby boomers and millennials and 
and people who were more mature. Yeah. There's a real split in the Democratic Party. Uh, there's a 50-50 as far as moderate compared to more radical Bernie Sanders type ideals. Uh, uh, something's got to happen here. Uh, well, and back back to the importance of people like Joe Biden and everybody in the Democratic Party being able to garner a significant portion of, um, for example, African-American support. I listen to writers and reporters and all kinds of pundits in the African-American community, and these are people who generally have a deep moral, philosophical, principle disagreement with the kind of human being Trump is. And if you listen to many of them, they may be among those people who are most enthusiastically arguing that this guy has to go whatever is required to get rid of him. I I hear people talking and they're politicking as well, but they're they don't just dislike him, they fear him. They they don't mince words. They make no bones about that. So I don't I I don't know who in the the Democratic Party can can embrace that and get that tried and true support um, if it's not Joe Biden. So um, again, we're we're a yeah, long it, way from the finish, and line. we are. We've got uh, what did they say? You got you got twenty two delegates uh, for Pete and twenty one for Bernie and eight for Warren and, and seven for Amy and eight for Joe, and they only need to have one thousand nine hundred ninety one delegates. <laughs> To win the uh, delegate and contest. Mr. Sanders is polling in the lead in a lot of the Super Tuesday states. Yeah, there's 14 of those states yeah. coming up. Uh, do you, so February, the way we're going to run this is you've got the caucus in Nevada on February 22nd. Then you've got South Carolina primary on the, on the 29th of February. And then Super Tuesday, which is March the 3rd, 14 states, including the state of Utah, that the in the Democratic primary in 2016 voted fully behind Mr. Sanders. Oh boy, this will be interesting. So, what you what do you think after that would give you what 14, 16, 18 of the states? Would that after Super Tuesday on March the third, do you think we're going to have a pretty good idea as to what candidates going to or what two candidates possibly to move out, and the other ones are going to fall out? For instance, uh, we, we mentioned that Amy had uh, came in third place in New Hampshire, and she's getting a lot of positive spin and moving forward. What was brought to my attention is yes, but her 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 organization's not there. Number one, number two, her funds are nowhere near uh, set up to take on. Uh, this kind of a move. So, uh, are we looking at Saunders and Pete being and 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 we can't disregard Mike Bloomberg, and we and we'll put Biden on the side here. But strange, nobody's those three, talking about Elizabeth Warren anymore. That was <laughs> that is strange. Uh, you know, I, 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 well, go ahead. I'm no no. You know, March, I'm sorry. March, I, you know what? I March should uh, demonstrate some momentum, but I this this will probably go into the spring. The um, Democrats changed their rules uh, partially in response to Mr. Sanders and his people on the problem they had in 2016 so that there's some sort of complicated uh, proportional representation system that operates in, in the way that they distribute the delegates in all of these states. 
And evidently, instead of it being a winner-take-all, uh, the Republicans are still running a winner-take-all winner primaries. You win, you get all the delegates. Instead, you just you split them up. And that means that if someone like Miss Miss Klobuchar, uh, who probably is raising money now for the first time in her candidacy, getting some money because she came in, she did well, and uh, the big Democratic donors don't like Sanders, and they're probably looking for someone. So Mr. Buttigieg has been getting most of that money. I'm guessing she's going to get some of it, but. Uh, I think I think Dr. McLeod's right. We're going to end up going way into the spring, maybe way to the to the last state. It used to be the last state was California, but they've moved up. So I don't even know who the last state is anymore. The uh, that we end up with no delegates, no no candidate having a majority of delegates, somebody with a plurality, and we've dealt with that in the past. Okay, a similar. In the Electoral College, we had that in 1824, and uh, the people who didn't want Mr. Jackson, who had the most, who had the, plur the, the plurality of the of the votes, combined their delegates to beat him, and again that was it was called the corrupt bargain, and it uh, Mr. Jackson was became the president in the yes, next election, did. and Mr. Adams had a a not too successful presidency as a result. Amazing, amazing. Well, yeah, that's that's one of the things that uh, we're we're having to to grapple with, and I'm not completely confident that uh, there was some bad blood in the Democratic Party due to what happened between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in 2016, and I'm not convinced that there won't be another little dust up or two in this one. Because you you got some people. Uh, this is it for Bernie Sanders. If he doesn't His get age. this nomination, it's it's over uh, for Biden as well. Nobody's talking about uh, Mike Bloomberg, the same age as these guys. And I personally have very serious questions about all three of them when it comes to being president of the United States for the very first time. If if they had aged into their current chronological situation while president that's one thing but um it's a hard job and i'm i'm not sure some guy looking down the barrel of 80 is the best choice for a variety of reasons but um evidently that's um in the the news interview i saw with bernie sanders the other night there came the question how are you feeling since your heart attack? And I do have a prediction. Go ahead, please. If one of them wins the presidency, he's going to turn their hair white. Uh, yeah, that could happen. <laughs> that could happen. Uh, inside jokes here, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we're going to have you guys come back again uh, next month, so we'll continue on with looking at the Democrats and how they're moving forward. But I want to change gears again. we got a little bit of time left. Uh, recently, uh, apparently, President Trump has gotten involved uh, trying to convince the Department of Justice, who uh, recommended that uh, Roger Stone uh, get a sentence of nine years, seven to nine years, excuse me. And then the president comes in and says, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He's tweeting. And his attorney general, as of 24 hours ago, has come out and said, Mr. President, 
you're not making my job in any easier and you're putting you're putting some question marks as to our relationship between the president and the attorney general and the department of justice as far as influencing sentencing um can i get your comments on this this is the the roger stone situation of which is a longtime friend of the president um, he was uh, he was convicted uh, of tampering uh, with witnesses when we're talking about the Ukrainian situation, the Russian situation, obstruction, uh, obstructing uh, uh, with the uh, House of uh, House of Representatives investigation. Uh, it was just blatant uh, evidence they had. And they convicted him in this time for sentencing. And now the president's intervened on his behalf because he's a longtime friend. What's what's your uh, opinions uh, on this situation? Um, Dr. Green? Um, as I understand the behind the scenes stuff, uh, I'm getting this from Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal, who's usually pretty good. Mr. Barr had met with the prosecutors on Friday, and they'd come up with a, a strategy for the, what they were going to go into court and ask the judge to do. Uh, Mr. Stone is guilty, uh, but this for this particular set of crimes, that the standard kind of a sentence would be something like two or three years. And they had agreed to ask the judge to do that. The prosecutors are people that were left over from the Russia investigation. They're the ones who brought the suit, two of whom, I, uh, according to her, are, uh, are Democratic donors and people who uh, don't like Mr. Trump at all and therefore don't like uh, Mr. Stone. And they went into court, and instead of doing what they'd agreed with Mr. Barr to do, uh, asked for nine years and then told Mr. Barr, if you go against us, uh, we'll all resign. We'll all r release ourselves. So they, yes. it was a little extortion thing, according to her. Uh, that sound that has a sound of truth to it to me. Mr. Barr came out and said, uh, uh, "You know, we're that's we're not going for that. That's not what we." And but Mr. Trump got in the middle of it, and with, so with it sounds tweets. like, yeah. you know, as he as he often does. Yes, he does. Uh, it sounds like he's trying to sway his attorney general. Now, the word is that Mr. Barr and his people had made the decision to back off of the nine-year, whatever whatever they do to rescind that nine-year ask. We don't know what the judge will do. The judge could send him to 50 years under the new, the new rules that they yeah. have. So that's what I understand happened. And uh, But Mr. Trump tweeting did not help Mr. Barr. And I'd, if I was Mr. Barr, I'd have been angry, too. He was. He was very upset. Well, Dr. He, McLeod, he, go ahead. He's there asking um, Trump in a manner to cease and desist with that sort of behavior. And, and Bob brought it up when, when we began talking about the fact that he he's on the air telling the interviewer that, uh, Mr. President, your tweets clearly are, are making my job more difficult. The thing, again, for me is Trump continuing to demonstrate that he's a different, very special, uh, and this has almost turned into a cliche now, president who is somehow above, around, outside the law, or, or certainly institutional customs and practices, and he 
just doesn't hesitate at all to get involved in areas where presidents haven't behaved this way in the past to any significant degree or at all. And he just seems to be an incredibly impulsive chief executive who makes life very difficult, especially with his propensity to jump in and derail everything people are doing. And, and there is no single voice that the administration can speak with. Like pulling the troops out of Syria without telling the Pentagon that he's going to pull the troops out. And and that's that's just a beautiful prescription for the continuing chaos that is in part his his presidency. And I don't know how far Barr will go. He uh, was almost kind of brave in asking the president to cut it out, but that may be the extent of of his uh, pushback. He may have been... Uh, since he did it publicly on the air, he may, be, may have been threatening to resign if things don't change. But I, I have no idea if that's what he was doing. Well, we can look forward uh, to some more tweets, I'm sure, from President Trump. Uh, we've got a new book coming out by Bolton. It's supposed to open up and let us all know the insides of what went on in the White House uh, while he so was there. That's what I meant when we said yeah. maybe impe- you know, maybe the next impeachment is yeah, not far away. I was going to, yeah, that's a nice wind up for us. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, uh. Kelly has come out and made some statements here in the last 24 hours uh, criticizing President Trump. Um, these people are sitting on the sidelines for a year after they've been let go from the White House staff positions, and now they're coming out of the woodwork and making uh, critical comments of the president. So, I, you know, at this point, I'm just, uh, if, you're, if, uh, if you're like I am, I'm just overwhelmed at the information both on both sides coming out. And it's very, very difficult to uh, cut through all the fog and to figure out what's reality and what's real and what's not. But uh, Well, the way it's reported, these people evidently, regard him as someone who is uh, a serious danger, a threatening person to occupy the most powerful position in the world. And their rationale for keeping silent, um, it's all over the map. So when when they, part of it is being at a safe distance where perhaps he can't uh, retaliate or what have you, but There seems to be a pattern of people who leave and have uh, what could only be described as horror stories to tell about being in this White House. So we'll we'll see what he has to say. Well, one thing about this president, he's certainly going to keep it interesting, isn't he? Because we're in the middle of a his election. The elections are coming up in November, so it's going to be a wild time. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask. We have to. We ran out of time again, but I'd like to have both of you come back next month. And we'll pick up where we left off, and we'll take a look at what we've got from the Democratic candidates, uh, President Trump, and what events have taken place from a political standpoint. And I would really enjoy to have you come back. Both Professor Green and Professor McLeod, thank you once again for being with us here on Tips. And goodbye, everybody. And You've we'll uh, tune in to us Oxley next week. With tips, topics, issues, and positions. For video and or audio of this, go to Podbean or Spotify, YouTube or Facebook and search Radio St. George or RadioStGeorge.com. Until next week, this has been Bob Oxley with tips on Radio St. George 100.3 FM.